0: Since 9-11, the Tunnel the Towers Foundation has been committed to improving the lives of America's veterans, first responders, and their families. For over 20 years, the foundation has helped America keep its solemn promise to never forget.
1: Tunnel the Towers provides mortgage-free homes to Gold Star families and the families of fallen first responders with young kids, builds specially adapted smart homes for severely injured veterans, and is working to eradicate veteran homelessness.
0: David Marshall served in the Army during World War II and fought in the Battle of the Bulge. He has never forgotten the sacrifices of his comrades-in-arms nor the efforts of his first responders on 9-11 and in the days and months that followed. He is a loyal and proud Foundation donor.
1: Tunnel the Towers is committed to supporting veterans, first responders, and their families, and so many of them need your help. Join the Foundation on its mission to do good and never forget. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel the Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. I know you're paying attention to global events as well as what's going on in our nation. War and increased conflict is bubbling up in more places. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD, 833
2: gold When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today.
1: Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome in, Clay Travis Buck Sexton Show. Well, after we went off the air yesterday, Kevin McCarthy was removed. There is going to be a new speaker selected. Chaos has broken out in the House of Representatives on some level. We will try to make sense of that chaos with all of you throughout the course of today's program. We have got invites out to several members of the House of Representatives who may be coming on with us. We'll certainly give you a heads up if and when those interviews are confirmed. There is a lot of moving uh, parts here right now as the news continues to shift in real time as to who exactly as going to be Uh, the, uh, the next member of the house of representatives, uh, speaker of the house fraternity, um, a little bit of news that just broke. Jim Jordan has announced that he will be a candidate for speaker of the house. I would bet if I were betting right now, Buck, that the next speaker of the house will now be Jim Jordan because he founded the freedom caucus. Many of the people who have been opposed to Kevin McCarthy are members of that caucus Jim Jordan did not seek the Speaker's office prior to now. Uh, he's been on this program a lot. He's a friend of mine. I like him a lot personally. I think he would do a good job. He is a fighter. I think that could help to put to rest the, uh, revolution inside of the Republican Party in the short term. Is that the right word? I don't know. Eight members of the, of the Republican caucus representing 4% of the overall membership. Voted out Kevin McCarthy, presumably that same power will exist going forward, uh, until we have a decision made in 2024 about what comes next. My big issue, Buck, and I'm curious how you would, uh, assess this. My big issue is this, this is a distraction that takes away from the failures of the Biden administration. And I don't think most Americans who are trying to make a decision in 13 months whom to vote for are sitting around worried about who the Speaker of the House is. They're worried about inflation. They're worried about mortgage rates on the 30-year getting close to 8%. The fact that the stock market is a mess and their 401ks haven't increased in any sort of value at all since Joe Biden became president. In fact, they're down based on inflation. They're worried about what gas prices are, what grocery prices are. And who the Speaker of the House is does not register near the top of the list, but it's a distraction. The media covers it. And as a result, what happens at the southern border crime, all of the failures of the Biden administration are ignored in favor of Republican Party chaos. How would you assess it? That's my biggest concern as we sit here speakerless uh in into early October.
0: I, I think it's it's early for us to really know uh what the outcome is. Um, meaning what the long, the longer shot, longer term reality here is going to be. Um, you know, I, I agree with your sentiment that this is not a focus on the failures of Democrats, the Biden administration. I, I, I have concerns generally about intramural fighting among Republicans. You know, I, I think that look, there's always going to be some of that. It's politics. I get it. But at this level, um, it, it feels like there was a decision that was made by a few to wield the power that they had in a way that was um surprisingly effective or perhaps uh, surprised some people that such a small group could accomplish uh, such a seismic shift inside of the Congress. And as long as we don't get, remember we talked about this yesterday, as long as we don't get, you raise the possibility of a Democrat speaker or something crazy like that, but that's I don't think anyone believes that's going to happen, um, given the people who are in the mix right now and who are being talked about as, as possibilities here. So with all of that in mind, um, I think we're in a place where, I, as we see this right now, it's, it could all work out. I mean, I think Jim Jordan, um, I think that some of the other names that are being floated here are strong conservatives who understand how the House works, who understands these operations, and it'll all be fine. You know what I mean? That's, that's how I see. I try to look at the bright side of this one. Um, you know, what was the purpose that Gates accomplished in this whole process? Uh, everyone now is also saying what we said yesterday, which is that there's something very personal here. Gates does not like, uh, Kevin McCarthy. And I think the feeling is quite mutual. And so it's in that reality. It's in that world that we see this continuing to play out. Um, that's what I, that's how I, I feel about it. Clay. I, I feel like. It's uh, a lot. It's, it's a lot of people going back and forth over how to break the system. You're seeing that people talking about, Oh, this is going to, yeah. you know, we're going to break the system. Well, not really. I mean, you're going to replace one speaker with another speaker and hopefully the next speaker will be better. I mean, I think people can disagree as to whether Kevin McCarthy was actually uh, coming through with what he said he would. Um, You know, like I said yesterday, he came out initially doing, I think, things that a lot of people in the base, a lot of conservatives really liked. So that's kind of
1: how I see it. So my concern is, and this is a sports analogy that I think makes a lot of sense. When you fire a head coach, you don't get to change the players. So the fact that we have a five seat majority in the House of Representatives by its very nature limits what you are able to accomplish, especially because there's a big difference between, say, where I live, a Tennessee Republican and a New York Republican or a California Republican. Everybody's district is quite a bit different, and if you're in a district that could swing either way, your political reality is different than somebody who is in a very safe district. And I think one of the challenges the House has had in general, and this is over the last 30 years or so, is both parties have been very adroit at creating safe districts. So if you're in a Republican district, you have no fear of a Democrat ever beating you. And if you're in a Democrat district, you have no fear of a Republican ever uh, beating you. And as a result, that is going to create, I think, more Republican districts and more Democrat districts because it's really the primary that decides. And if you're further left or you're further right, you have a lot of ability to win those races, and the number of actual toss-up House seats, and there's 435. Buck, I think it's down to like 60 or 70 that might even be able. Only about 10 percent or 15 percent of all House districts are even able to go one direction or the other. You know, barring some sort of massive wave uh, that, that transforms uh, for a short period of time the makeup of the House, and so. That in and of itself, I think, is a reality. And then you also toss in, look, there are Democrats control the Senate and Democrats control the White House. I think you have to be cognizant of what is actually possible. Now, if there is someone who will be better liked across the entire Republican spectrum than Kevin McCarthy, I would welcome it. But I would say this sideshow, uh, this charade, I want to be over sooner rather than later because we're letting Biden off the hook when the storyline is Republican incompetence. And I would also say this, Buck. Democrats don't do this. Democrats don't air their dirty laundry in public. And I would just ask everybody out there to think about this. The media certainly aids and abets in trying to keep Democrat feuds from going public. But very rarely do you see a public uh, uh, attack on Democrat leaders being led by Democrats. I don't know how they managed to do it. Nancy Pelosi was very skilled. She didn't have a very substantial majority for much of her tenure as speaker. For the most part, none of this stuff ever went public. Um, I don't think it's helpful to the party as a whole to have a civil war, so to speak, breaking out on a regular basis about whether you're a real Republican or not, which seems to happen all the time. And certainly it's magnified right now, Buck, because in addition to the fight that's going on in the House of Representatives, you've got the decision over who the representative is going to be uh, for, the, uh, for the Republican Party in the presidential race. And as you pointed out, RFK Jr. basically just got snowed under. The Democrats said, we're not going to allow this to be a distraction. They are a uh, a party that stays committed to its leadership. I just think it's worth contemplating why it is that Republicans always seem to be fighting inside of the party and Democrats almost never seem to be doing it. Do you agree with that? Like, You don't see public spats like this emerge very often with Democrats.
0: Certainly not on the congressional side. I think part of that might be because of Nancy Pelosi and the iron grip that she wielded on Congress for so long. Um, I also think uh, you do have to remember the Bernie-Hillary schism was a very real thing for a while. So there are times uh, at which Democrats, or there are times during which Democrats are uh, clearly um, at each other's throats. But tends to be more around the presidential cycles. I, I don't really see it the same way in terms of congressional struggles. And I, that may just be a function of Pelosi and Schumer
1: are accepted as the leadership. You know, there was a moment there where AOC was starting to get a little uh, But Pelosi like slapped her down pretty quickly. Yes. She was like, "Yeah, she has no influence in this party." Then, that's
0: what I mean. Though. Yeah. Like there was a moment where AOC decided that she was going to be a little bit more, you know, assertive within Congress, but at, at the end of the
1: day, um it didn't really, you know. Yeah. She said, I think if I remember correctly, Nancy Pelosi said she has one vote. And yes, you're right. I mean, in Republican or Democrat primary season for the nomination it's kind of hard not to fight because you're battling over famously Kamala Harris called Joe Biden a racist and then he picked her to be the vice president I mean I, I mean I, it's a they'll even paper over that which it seems like basically the worst accusation you could hurl at anybody uh in the Democrat party where in theory uh, not being racist is pretty much the only thing that they believe uh, that, that they stand for, basically all the way through with identity politics, even though that's a new form of racism, which is its own pernicious uh, virus, I think, that is attacked. But we are going to potentially have some of the, the 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 individuals who factor in in this debate. We should also mention: Has Steve Scalise officially announced that he is going to run? Buck, I'm trying to keep up with all of this. Or not. We talked about he's the number two right now, and the challenge certainly that he is dealing with is he's fighting cancer. I don't know what his health condition is, but Jim Jordan, as we just said, literally I think like ten minutes ago, right before we came on the air, uh, released a statement saying he would stand for Speaker of the House, and there have been a lot of people trying to draft him for some time. He was actually um, an ally in, in, in some ways of Speaker Kevin McCarthy who is no longer the speaker. So we'll open up phone lines, by the way. You guys may have strong takes on this uh, as well, uh, 800-282-2882. Um, but in the meantime, Buck, the plan is, my understanding, Wednesday will be the vote, one week from today, where Republicans will pick a new speaker of the House. So one week from today. In the meantime, you can expect one week worth of high drama, lots of leaks, Lots of stories about where the votes may be, uh, and then we'll see what the horse trading actually looks like or whether a consensus candidate does emerge, uh, from all of this, uh, current chaos. Do you think, do you think it will be chaotic on Wednesday or do you think by Wednesday most Republicans will have gathered behind one candidate and made the decision of who they want?
0: I think by Wednesday they will have gathered behind somebody and, and we'll, we'll get past this. I mean, there was that initial period where there was the fight over the speaker and all the rest of it, but you know, by Wednesday, I think, I'm sorry, you know, by, uh, Wednesday of in, next
1: weekend theory yeah, would be the day. In, in short order, in. I think
0: this will be, this will be settled and we'll be thinking about the big issues affecting the country right now that I think everybody needs to be focused on, uh, which is what we try to talk about here day in and day out. Not so much the, look, the, it's a political show, so we got to do the inner workings of politics, but you get what I'm saying.
1: No doubt, Um, and I think there's a good chance that now that Jim Jordan has officially announced that many will coalesce behind him, but we'll update you as the course of this show continues and certainly over the next couple of days as the drama continues to build and maybe some chaos continues to spill out. Imagine your local utility company choosing to give you 50% more electricity every month without charging you for it. That'd be a pretty welcome gift, right? Same thing actually happened this summer for Pure Talk customers. The cell phone company so many in this audience now rely on. They increased the monthly data usage on their cell phone service plans by fifty percent without increasing their monthly cost. This is great news for new and current Pure Talk customers. Not only did they add fifty percent data, but they also added a mobile hotspot with each plan. No price increases whatsoever. Still just twenty bucks a month for unlimited talk text. Now fifty percent more five G data plus. A mobile hotspot just 20 bucks a month most families saving almost a thousand dollars a year with pure talk dial pound 250 say clay and buck to make the switch to pure talk and you'll save an additional 50 percent off your first month again dial pound 250 and say clay and buck and make the switch to pure talk
3: today from the front lines of freedom and truth
1: Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time,
3: 833-995-G-O-L-D. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call.
1: I would say some hot take commentary surrounding the speaker battle. I want to play some of this just so you guys have an indication of what exactly is going on. Newt Gingrich said the eight guys who voted against McCarthy are traitors. Listen to this.
0: Well, think about what we saw today. 4%, 4% decided they were so morally superior, so intellectually pure,
3: so patriotically better that they would side with the Democrats, and that's what they did. In order to defeat the entire Republican House caucus, 96% of the Republicans voted for McCarthy. 4% voted against him. From my position as a longtime Republican activist, they're traitors. All eight of them should, in fact, be primaried. They should all be driven out of public life. What they did was to go to the other team to cause total
0: chaos. So does does this make Newt Gingrich a rhino? Because I'm seeing a lot of the, the rhino talk getting thrown around on this I, one. Look, I, Clay, there, so much of this, it feels like it's, it's about frustration and shaking up the system more than it is a specific plan or even a specific gripe. It actually feels like a a Trumpian, uh, impulse or perhaps a Trumpian shockwave, right? What was 2016? So many people were saying that they wanted Donald Trump because he was effectively an extended solitary finger in the gesture of the other side, right? Yeah. He was telling them he was a middle he'd...
1: finger to Democrats. Yeah. There you yeah. go.
0: And, and that was particularly, uh, a- appealing to people who had suffered under Democrat rule for eight years and who also felt like Republicans at key junctures would just sort of like, you know, fall apart, would just bail or, or would, would make a deal with the other side. I, I understand that with Trump, that was one thing in Congress though, you know, to break the system, you still need the system or, or rather, you can break the system, but you're just going to have to rebuild it. So, so the specifics of what comes next matters a whole lot. I think that, uh, you know, remember when we had the, the whole conversation about the speakers fight initially, we're saying, oh my gosh, everyone's like, what's going to happen? And we said, they're going to find a speaker and it's going to be fine. Yes. You know, this isn't, this isn't the end of the world. And I think we're in a very similar position right now. Um, I, I do have my moments though of, of, What exactly uh, is hoping to be achieved? What are they hoping to achieve with this? You know, I have have moments where I look at that and I say something is a
1: little missing with that. I just have said anger isn't a strategy. I understand anger. I think every American should be angry at the direction of the country right now. But it needs to be followed up by a strategy. And I would just point out, we have Stephen Miller on the program all the time, Buck. He's going to be on tomorrow. Stephen Miller is probably the guy who is most responsible for Trump's successful border strategy. I love how he is unapologetic about what he believes when it comes to the lack of security at our southern border. He just said, look, Republicans aren't a functional party if eight members can join the Democrats to oust the Speaker. Listen to Cut 12.
0: Eight Republicans and all Democrats ejected the Speaker of the House. So look, Kevin's a friend of mine, I've known him for a long time, but whether you like Kevin, whether you hate Kevin, wherever you fall on Kevin, the reality is that the Republican Party
2: cannot exist as a functional party if just eight members at any point in time can join with all Democrats to eject a Speaker. You know what, you can eject Kevin
1: and you can replace him with someone someone else and then someone else and then someone else and then someone else. Here's what I don't hear. I don't hear a plan. I do not hear a proposal. I do not hear a vision to shut down our open border and to stop the Department of Justice from putting innocent Americans in jail for life. I think that's a very valid point that he makes. Again, anger is not a strategy. The southern border, all the failures of Biden. And then I wanted to play our friendship Roy Buck and Matt Gates. It sounds like they, they're ready for a throwdown uh inside of the Republican Party. Get your popcorn. Listen to this. You want to come at me and call me a rhino? You can kiss my ass. Look, I've spent a lifetime fighting for limited government conservatism. I have laid it all on the line. I've not seen my family, but for two days in the last 30 days. You go around talking your big game and you thump in your chest on Twitter? Yeah, come to my office and come out a debate, mother. You know why? Because I'm standing up for this country every single day. And I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to go to a nunnery. Because, damn it, there were people who were buried over in Normandy who deserve us to stand up for what they fought for. So that's what I'm going to do. And all of you out there who are out there saying what you're saying out on social media, you stick it. I'm going to go down to the floor and do my job, and I'm going to stand up for the people who fought for this country. And I'm going to do it the way I think is right for the people that I represent. Chip Roy. So, first of all, I know Chip well. Um, I love Chip. Um, uh, he uh, He is a, I think, a patriot. I think there are lots of people on a variety of different perspectives here that are patriots. But I think, Buck, what he is, uh, referencing is there is a huge obsession right now. And you may have seen it way more than I have because you've been doing this for longer. There is like a purity test for Republicans and what you believe in. Do Democrats go around calling other Democrats dinos? Like, I, I, maybe they do. I'm not familiar with it ever happening. There is an obsession with calling anyone who disagrees with you about who the uh, nominee should be in the, in the Republican uh, presidential race, about who the speaker should be. Like, it is an obsession to call somebody a rhino. Um, and I think it's gone to a level that frankly I've never seen before. Chip Roy is super conservative. You can disagree with him on a lot of different perspectives. The idea that he's a fake conservative is pure balderdash. I mean, well, it's crazy. Is-
0: This is why, you know, when, when Newt takes that stand and I see people saying that, that he's a rhino as well, I, I do have to step back and wonder for a moment, um, what is, what are the qualifications for rhinodom? Like what, what now makes you, um, a Republican in name only in the context of, of this current debate and, and discussion? I I don't seem to get a lot lot of clarity on that, and I think it has increasingly become a term that's used for people that it's just it just does not apply to, right? I mean, there are people. I mean, if you want to talk about you know rhinos, and now there actually are people. You know, someone will say like a Susan Collins, for example,
1: but you know she's in a state where it's tough. So that's why that's why I think it's important, like. In order to be elected in some states, you can't be a hard right conservative. That's like, people right. People understand that, right? In some districts as well. So, you know, I, I view
0: this as, um, it's, it's good sometimes to have a little rough housing going on here. It's good for people to, you know, shove, uh, shove leadership around and, and even each other around in the Congress and try to figure out, um, how things are, are supposed to be going forward because, we're not really in the thick of the of the election yet, and I think there's a lot of frustration over spending. What are we at? Thirty three trillion dollars, right? Yes, now? right. Thirty three trillion. It's like a
1: hundred billion dollars, I think, every month plus buck that we add to. I think it may be more, maybe like a hundred billion a week. I mean, that basically we're adding to the national debt every single uh, week and month.
0: So, you know, you look at this and you say, well. What exactly can we do? And there are limitations. There are limitations like uh, we have Joe Biden as president. And people are saying, well, what did Kevin McCarthy do? Well, he's in a divided. And I know I'm going to get heat. People are going to say, oh, you're standing up for McCarthy. I'm just trying to lay out all the different points and, and angles here, right? I'm just trying to have a discussion about what all the calculations were that went into this. Uh, McCarthy's got a divided Congress. Um he's got Senate uh he's got the Democrats able to block anything they want in the Senate. You've got a Joe Biden veto pen waiting for you.
1: Uh
0: does this current disruption and maybe it'd be great if we gave Jim Jordan on this, does it in any way uh throw off some of the investigations and the oversight stuff that's going on? You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, totally. that's really, you know that's where you could start to have some problems from this because oversight, the House Oversight Committee Killing is really the reason that Hunter Biden has been on the hot seat the way that he has. We've been following that here very closely. So that's, uh, you know, an- another component to take
1: into and to take into account. And. Destruction also is not a strategy. There it's very people love the idea of, oh, I'm just going to tear that down. OK, well, you tear that down. You have to build something to replace it with. And that's why I think, again, anger and destruction, they are emotional responses to many people out there that are frustrated about the direction of our country. But just tearing something down without a plan of how you're going to replace it is not going to make things better. And whomever the new speaker is, I would like to hear why are they going to be better. Again, I come back to the analogy usually football coaches get fired because their teams don't win enough. But it's very rare that the coach that immediately replaces a fired coach is going to be a lot better because the team doesn't change. Right? The interim coach doesn't usually come in after somebody gets fired and suddenly re uh, rehabilitate the entire team. Occasionally it happens. But most of the time, the team stays about the same because the players aren't changing. Well, the players aren't changing inside the House of Representatives. There isn't going to be miraculously a margin of greater than five for whomever the new speaker is. And to what is being spoken about here, if all it takes is basically five Republicans to fire the speaker, why would you want this job? And why would you think that you're going to be able to maintain it all the way through the next election cycle? Now, the reality may be, Buck, that basically by June of next year, Congress is going to be done and they're going to go back home and they're going to be campaigning. So really what we're talking about is a speaker for the next six or eight months. There's not a long tenure here. And then we'll see who wins control of the House in 2024 um, and whether or not that speaker would continue. But my concern is you had Hunter Biden on his back foot. You had the Biden administration, I think, wobbly from all the investigations that are going on. You're prosecuting the case against Joe Biden for having what I think is the worst presidency of any of our lives. And suddenly, in a record-scratch moment, it turns back to the Republican Party is incompetent. They can't even pick a leader, and that's going to be the narrative for the next week. And so that concerns me because it takes the pressure off of Biden and squarely puts it back on the Republican Party. And then he can point to it and say, they're incompetent whenever we try to impeach him, which is. is going to be one of their arguments. If you had to pick timing for this though, I would say, you
0: know, right now, it's good this isn't happening in March of 2024 or even worse. We agree. That's true. But I think this will largely be, uh, solved and forgotten here. What do y'all think? I actually want to, I just threw a y'all in there. I didn't even mean to. Look at that clay. I've been hanging out with clay enough. Well, you happens.
1: moved to Miami. That's, that's basically New York on the, on the southern climate, but maybe, maybe there's a few people down there, southerners. you your wife, certainly. Certainly yeah. a Southern, maybe she's, impacting she's you, too. She's a Floridian.
0: She's a Floridian. Yeah. So, uh, I, I want to hear what, what the, the, the folks in the audience in this, uh, the listeners rather in this audience think about this situation of the, uh, the leadership fight. I, I feel like we're getting a lot of people coming in on both sides. Uh, so light us up. 800 2882 Who needs a new source of stamina and energy more? Certain members of our House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. or the committed, determined members of our border patrol ...who are overwhelmed these days. It's an easy decision for me. I'd honor members of our Border Patrol with a subscription to Chalk's Vitality Stack. This is a specially formulated set of supplements helping Americans achieve more every day... ...by having more energy and stamina. Their male Vitality Stack includes a leading ingredient that increases testosterone levels by 20% in just three months' time. That's where energy is in a guy's body often. It comes from that testosterone reservoir... For women, there's the female vitality stack from Chalk. The natural ingredients in that formulation provide a healthier hormone balance. You, too, can benefit from Chalk. Get yourself set up with a subscription. Go online to Chalk.com, spelled C-H-O-Q.com. You can save 35% off on the subscription you choose for life. Use my name, Buck, as you make your purchase. That's Chalk, C-H-O-Q.com, and use my name, Buck, for 35% off.
1: Need a break from politics? A little comedy to counter the craziness? So do we. The Sunday Hang. A weekend podcast to lighten things up a bit. Find it in the Clay and Buck podcast feed on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: All right, second hour, Clay and Buck kicks off. And as you know, we got another day of the Trump trial with the Trumpster showing up himself. Donald Trump is, in fact, there and he is... Uh, doing what he does. He is a one man show always and everywhere. Uh, he got a little, um, how do I put this? He, he let his feelings be known about Letitia James, the attorney general and about the judge, Arthur Angoran, who is presiding over this case. Here's, let's start first with this. Trump saying what he really thinks about this trial on day three. Play clip two.
1: She brought the case under the statute that has
0: never been used for a thing like this before, ever. We're not entitled to a
1: jury. Because if I had a jury, even though it's in New York, and I think I'd be fine with New York, but if I had a jury, we'd win this case very easily. But I don't have a jury. And you
0: see what's happening. This is a railroad and it's the beginning of communism in our country. This is the beginning of communism. The beginning of communism in our country. Uh, it certainly is a massive leap forward in the weaponization for political reasons of prosecutors and judges. That's for sure, given what we see going on here. I'd also note, Clay, this judge, particularly Judge Engeron, uh, who, as we noted, seemed to be very pleased to be on camera recently yes right, when the cameras came up uh, but this is a flashback to 2015 with this same judge speaking about giving you a sense of his uh
3: judicial philosophy when it comes to juries play one now i'm going to say something controversial even though i'm being taped juries get it wrong a lot that's my own opinion i do only civil trials personal injury cases contract disputes But I've had situations where, like, oh, my my, heaven's sake, how could they have thought that? Well, I have a tool that I can deal with that. It's called judgment notwithstanding the verdict. I can say there is no possible way that a reasonable jury would have reached that conclusion. And, all right, am I following the law or am I making law? Okay, I'm following law, I'm I'm an impartial referee, but it's hard to factor out my own emotions hard to factor out his
0: emotions we know he doesn't like trump we know that there's uh, a part of him that likes to talk about how he will overrule jury verdicts which i know judges can do that they can set aside a jury verdict that is part of the process but um you get the sense clay that we have an anti-trump activist judge get that sense for a number of reasons providing over this trump civil case
1: Yeah, look, uh, on the judge overriding a jury verdict, the most frequent time that I see it, and again, it's civil, not criminal, is let's say there's a dispute and the jury comes back and they say, we're going to award the defendant $250 million uh, for something that is nowhere near that level of compensation that's deserved and a judge basically just says, yeah, I'm going to nullify this verdict. Because he's basically what he's doing is, on appeal, many of these verdicts will get struck down anyway uh, in a plaintiff law context. I don't know because I'd hear the full context. I'm guessing that's kind of what he's talking about because he's a civil court judge. And so sometimes judges see juries render verdicts that are completely indefensible under the law in terms of damages. Again, he's not a criminal uh, judge. But when you are sitting there and making the rulings that he did as a matter of law before this trial even started, I think it's fair to say that he is a a Trump hater. And I think it's fair to say, generally speaking, that if you look at the judges that Trump has drawn, the only one who seems remotely fair that I have seen so far is the South Florida judge. Um, she seems her rulings, I'll look at them and I'll say, okay, like this is somewhat of a reasonable middle of the road ruling. In New York City, you got a Trump hating judge, uh, for the Alvin Bragg case. It appears you got a Trump hating judge on the civil lawsuit that is going on right now. Certainly, Chutkin in, uh, in Washington DC despises Trump with every fiber of her being uh and in atlanta we'll see it doesn't seem like i would say that guy is uh, is closer to somewhat reasonable than the other judges here's the problem buck if we have any indication at all that a judge has animus for the defendant in a case that judge shouldn't be sitting on the on the trial because there are so many decisions that have to be made you need a judge who is studiously impartial. That is going to make the defense and the prosecutor unhappy sometimes with the rulings that they are going to put out. And I would say this: Jack Smith unhappy with any of the rulings he's gotten from Judge Chutkin in uh, in D.C. Yet there's been a lot of motions, a nope. lot of arguments. He unhappy with any of it, Buck? He's Not done one uh, single very well
0: ruling with this. This this judge has been. Quite favorable to all things Jack Smith.
1: And, and I would, if you take it, you know, uh in, into your own life, judges have to make really difficult decisions on a regular basis if they always side with one side. It's not a guarantee that the judge is biased. It's a pretty strong indication. And given the fact that, how many people in America do you think don't have an opinion about Donald Trump at all, Buck, percentage-wise? No opinion one way or the other. Uh,
0: 10%? Uh,
1: yeah, maybe, right? And that, that might be high. Although I would love if there, if there are 35 million people in America roughly right now who have zero opinion of Donald Trump. I'm actually fascinated by that. More so almost than the people who love and hate him. Like you've watched the Trump train, the Trump experience for eight years now and you still have no real opinion, I mean, more power to you, I guess. I bet a lot of those people are just so busy they're not paying attention. Most judges certainly have strong opinions one way or the other. And in our social media era, Buck, it's so easy to find out everybody's opinions because people are constantly sharing those opinions that otherwise might not have been public. But Chuck can, like, I don't understand how she's allowed to sit on this trial. From the bench she has basically said that Donald Trump fomented an insurrection in some of the punishments that she has put forward for the January 6th defendants. Once you have made that public pronouncement from the bench, I don't see how you haven't clearly established that you're biased against Trump. To me, she should not be on this case. But as we've talked about, and I think we've talked about it off air, judges have egos. Judges want to get the biggest possible case that they can Because they want the attention on them. Because if you are a judge, what do you basically believe? That you have impeccable judgment. What you are essentially saying is, that's the job, right? Yeah, That's the job. I can look at all these facts and I can render the best possible outcome better than almost anyone. That's my skill. So if you have them say, yeah, I shouldn't get the biggest case of my career, in some way they're seeing that as an attack upon the very foundational ability that they believe justifies them having the job in the first place. So I don't think it's a coincidence that no judge has said, yeah, you know what? I'm conflicted out here. I shouldn't be in this case. But unfortunately, I think this is going to become a bigger and bigger issue. And I think certainly the challenge is going to be, Buck, the gag orders. I I, I think people need to prepare themselves for this. Everybody's focused on what is the impact of the trial going to be. I'm actually right now more focused on are they going to hold Trump in contempt for what he says about what i believe are contemptible charges being brought against him which is big because we're in the middle of a presidential election you can't distinguish between the political and the legal right now and so when they try to clamp down on what trump can say from a legal perspective they are actually directly attacking his political process as well and i'm telling you once we turn into 2024 and it gets closer to that march trial in dc jack smith is going to try to uh... keep trump from being able to comment on this trial and he may try to even put him in prison over what he says before there's any verdict at all in the case but
0: this is part of why i've said do you think there's any chance they'll put trump in a cell maybe they won't put him in a cell for a conviction that would theoretically go on for years but contempt uh contempt of court is that is that a possibility given donald trump's penchant
1: for saying what he feels like saying irrespective of the consequences buck here's the question that nobody seems to answer we've asked uh, be able to answer we asked julie kelly this who knows more about the january 6th defendants than anybody if we presume that this jack smith trial is going to start in march let's say it's going to be over sometime in june that seems reasonable if that were to happen if trump is convicted are they going to try to put him in handcuffs and lead him out the moment that the conviction is announced And take him to some form of confinement. Again, these are the kind of questions that, and then does the how does the how does the Secret Service handle that? These are the kind of questions. Again, my uh, my bet is that he gets home confinement if he were convicted, and they try to restrict his movement to Mar-a-Lago or Bedminster or wherever he is. But these are the kinds of questions that Democrats have created that there are no easy process answers for and every day that we get closer to that trial beginning presuming that it happens in march and i still have my doubts about whether we'll be able to go to trial but i think that's right now the new york city case is is scheduled first right buck but i think that alvin bragg will step out of the way for jack smith would be my guess the moment that that trial starts and i think they'll drag it on who knows how long it'll take to get a jury seated i just told you off air that they've already managed to seat a jury for Sam Bankman-Fried's case, which is officially going to begin in earnest now. Jack Smith is going to try to move this thing as fast as he possibly can. Chutkin is going to be allied with Jack Smith. Yes. That eventually leads to a decision having to be made if this jury convicts, which I think in Washington, D.C., they will.
0: This is what I've been saying all along. What do they do? If you had a normal judge that cared about common, uh regular procedure... And who was being fair minded, there would be a much greater likelihood that Trump would be able to extend this out and and everything would you know fall along the lines of the election really determining everything because he'd be able to delay. This judge is not allowing that delay, and this judge is not going to recuse herself. And there's really nothing in the system that is going to stop any of that. I mean, maybe they'll go to the appeals court for some of this, but I find that very unlikely. I was skeptical that they would even move the Georgia cases to the federal court, not federal jurisdiction per se, but to the federal courthouse uh, because of the way that works with federal employees so that the states can't just sort of harass them if they're actually doing their jobs. As you ne- mentioned yesterday, so far, judges said no, yeah. you can't do that.
1: And I, so I do think uh, that the federal case in D.C., is the one that they need to be the most focused on trying to fight. Because I think it's the only one that has a chance to be done before the election happens in November.
0: I I think there's, yes, and I think there's a very (gasps) good chance that you will end up with a jury in D.C. You will have a judge who's doing everything possible to stack the deck against Trump, and you will have a jury in D.C. that will be willing to find Trump guilty of... You know, anything. It, it doesn't really matter what the charge is, what the specifics are. I think that he has become so polarizing, uh, and liberals hate him so much that in a left-wing stronghold like Washington DC, getting a number of jurors who truly despise him to the point where they just want to see him convicted, uh, regardless of the facts is very, is very high. Um, it's very high. So I, I am, con- I've been concerned about that one all along, and uh, I do believe that their goal would probably be house arrest at Mar-a-Lago, but think about that. Then they would get to, he's a convicted felon, he can't really campaign, he's stuck at Mar-a-Lago. They're going to say that they're being respectful of his role as a former president by not putting him in a prison cell. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, The house arrest maneuver for them isn't crazy, everybody, if they can get this trial through. So we need to see this. Coming ahead of, uh, ahead of time and, and I think make the necessary pr- uh, precautions and preparations for it. All right. Support U.S. funded resources. Phoenix Capital Group invites you to invest in the heart of America with our domestic energy corporate bonds. Phoenix Capital connects private investor principal with direct investments in domestic energy assets. Your venture in these U.S. backed equities can gain up to 9 to 13% annual interest paid monthly. It's a vote of confidence in the American dream in the unwavering spirit that built our nation. To find out more, download the Phoenix Group's free investment guide today at phxonair.com. Investment in bonds have a certain amount of risk associated with it, and you should only invest if you can afford to bear the risk of loss. Before making investment decisions, you should carefully consider and review all risks involved. Learn how you can diversify your investments and earn 9 to 13% APY. Download the Phoenix Group's free investment guide today at phxonair.com.
1: Blade Travis and Buck Sexton on, on the, front the front lines, lines of, of truth.
0: Why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand.
1: Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts?
0: You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug out plan. Two, diversifying your portfolio as a hedge against inflation and Call Oxford Gold Group right now, and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals.
1: Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time, 833-995-G-O-L-D.
4: Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs>
2: HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. They've made an arrest uh, of an 18-year-old who
0: identified right now as the person of interest in the stabbing murder of a uh, Brooklyn community organizer and an activist named Ryan Carson. A lot of people have seen it. It's gone viral. The video has been online now for uh, over 24 hours. And what you see is this individual in, uh, I believe the Bed-Stuy, Bedford-Stuyvesant area of Brooklyn at about three o'clock in the, or four o'clock in the morning, actually. So a, a time that being on the streets is just unfortunately the case. Being on the streets at 4 o'clock in the morning, you're more likely to come across problems. Uh, you're more likely to be the victim of a crime then. Um, this individual who is now under arrest said, you know, what the bleep are you looking at? Uh, Carson was with his girlfriend, and the individual then uh, just pulled out a knife and, and stabbed him to death. And this has, uh, especially for New Yorkers, but uh, also around the country, this kind of senseless violence. I mean, Clay talked a lot yesterday about what happened in Chattanooga and how that has really hit home for so many people. Um, and it, it's a real gut punch. I mean, there are stories you read and you just, your, your humanity demands that you feel like your day is a little, You know, your day is a little rougher after just knowing that something like that could happen. And in this case, in in Bedford-Stuyvesant, you have uh, totally random, effectively, totally random murder of somebody who, including uh, his girlfriend who was there on the scene, were both um, very anti-police and very left-wing in their belief systems based on what you see online. Now... That doesn't change anything about the heinousness of the crime against, uh, Mr. Carson. Um, and I don't bring it up for, for any purpose along those lines. I talk about it, Clay, just because th- there, there's reaching, I think now that we are reaching uh, a phase in this where the bad ideas have gotten so bad that even people who hold them, who think that they will generally be exempt, from the consequences in these cities are finding out that that's not true, that the crime and the violent crime specifically has gotten to a place where it can happen to you anywhere in some cities, and certainly 4 a.m. on the streets of Bedford-Stuyvesant in Brooklyn is a dangerous place to be, and we need more cops, we need more law enforcement, we need uh, a, a, something of a societal reset toward law and order in these places, and the expectation that uh, crime will be punished and that people can finally feel safer on the
1: streets. We basically adopted the idea that it's racist to put criminals in prison because too many criminals are black. I mean, look, let's be honest. That is what the Democrat Party decided in the wake of George Floyd, but they had been working on it for some time. They had been arguing that our justice system was racist because There were too many black people being put in prison. That's the reality. And yesterday's story that I talked about, Chris Wright, 38-year-old father of three. He had an eight-week-old. He went to his 20th anniversary at Baylor High School, which is a prominent high school in the Chattanooga, Tennessee area. And while he was attending that 20th uh, anniversary, the reunion, he was shot in the head, murdered in cold blood, by a guy who had been arrested 66 times. Yesterday, Buck, we talked about Washington, D.C. is in the grips of a massive increase in violent crime. Murders are up 30 uh, 38%, I believe, over last year. Over 200 people have been murdered in Washington, D.C. Never happened in the 21st century. We're only in October. Way more people are unfortunately going to be killed before the year is out. The average number of times that an arrested murderer has been arrested before, 11. What are we doing? the, The people who are committing violent crimes, we know who they are. Police know who they are. It's not a surprise. We're not talking about somebody suddenly snaps and out of nowhere they commit the first crime of their life. Those are difficult crimes to stop. No one would argue against that. Guy's been arrested 66 times, fuck, in Chattanooga. Several times for violence, for firing guns at people. And the idea that he suddenly decides to shoot somebody, this is not a random act of violence. This is a violent predator who shouldn't have been on the streets. And I get what what's the criminal history. Have they released it yet of the guy who stabbed the, the person in New York City?
0: Um, he, he has. Let me see. I'm pulling it up right
1: here. I bet that this is not a first-time violent criminal offense for him either. Um, it very rarely is. Again, an average of 11 times in D.C. Double-digit arrest is on average what happens when we finally catch one of these murderers. And the truth of the matter is that violent crime is not committed evenly. We've talked about this on the show before. It's like you can't even mention it because people are afraid, oh, my God, it's racist to share facts. No, black men represent 6% of the United States population. Black men commit over half of all murders. Most of their victims are black men. 6% of the population is committing over half of the murders. We know that. We know when murders are occurring, that's a reliable criminal data point. Are you not allowed to point that out? Should we not arrest murderers? Black men commit wildly disproportionate acts of violent crime. It isn't racist any more than it is sexist to arrest men. And that's why I always come back to this argument because it really floors everybody. Women don't get arrested for violent crimes because they don't commit very many violent crimes. It's not sexist that 95% of people arrested for violent, violent crime are men. Black men create wildly out of proportion of their population more violent crime than you would expect. They represent 6% of the American population. They commit over half of all murders. It's not racist to point that out, but it's like you're not even allowed to say it. If you're going to address acts of violent crime, black men are going to be disproportionately arrested because they commit disproportionate amounts of violent crime. That's not racism. This
0: this led to a a lot of the Soros prosecutor mentality and the narrative of mass incarceration and defund and even abolish police, they look at these numbers and they say, you know, the D.C. Uh, prison system, for example, the New York City prison system is about 90 percent black. The yeah. inmates on any given day are about 90 percent black. And they look at this and they say that is the product of a racist system. And the only way they they felt uh, they could deal with that, or they thought the best way to deal with that, was to just have fewer people in general held in prisons. And one of the uh, best examples of how this works out in practice is that you have, in a place like Philadelphia, Larry Krasner, the DA there, uh, they talk a lot about gun violence and the need to get illegal guns off the streets, but in something like half of illegal handgun possession cases in Philadelphia, they dismissed the charges. So they're saying we need to stop the guns, we need to stop gun violence, but the most likely pathway to achieving some kind of reduction in gun violence would be when somebody, especially if they're a gang member, they have a previous criminal record, a lot of these were felons, Clay, in possession of a firearm, which is an additional uh, statutory violation. I think it's actually federal at that point. Um, they dismiss these charges and then they, and then they tell us, Oh, we didn't have the highest murder rate in Philadelphia. I think in the city's history last year, or maybe it was the year before because of bad policy. They were yeah. saying it was because of
1: COVID. Does everyone remember that? Oh, yeah. That oh, yeah.
0: was what the left wing intelligentsia were promoting. It was COVID.
1: The other point I think needs to be made here, Buck, is there's a lot of focus. Oh, we're over penalizing people. These are nonviolent offenses. A lot of people are charged with eight different crimes or nine different crimes, and they then will plea it all the way down to a lesser charge. If you're in jail for trespassing or you are convicted of some sort of, and I'm just using that as an example, of a lower-level misdemeanor offense, it doesn't mean that you are nonviolent. It might well be the case that your district attorney uh, was able to get that lowered because the idea is your public defender, the district attorney, was willing to lower it because they're not trying to put people behind bars. So this whole argument of, well, a lot of this is nonviolent in nature, no, it isn't. And and the other thing we should point out, too, is when you talk about who's doing a crime, I said 6% of the population is black, and they do uh, commit over half of all murders. That's a factual reality. But the vast majority of that 6% is innocent and law-abiding. It's a tiny pinprick of that 6% that's actually committing the crimes. There's almost no one over the age, for instance, of 50 that commits an act of violent crime as a percentage of the population. It's almost 16 to 40-year-old men across the board. And it's a tiny pinprick of those guys, too. So the people who are the victims here, of black violence, are black violence. But the only time we care about black violence in this nation is when a white person is involved in committing an act of violence against a black person. The media comes and they cover it. Black guy shooting another black guy doesn't get an ounce of attention. So we're not actually going and solving the root cause of violence When the media is focused on a tiny pinprick of violence, I wish we could eliminate every act of cross-racial violence in America. If we did, only 7% of black murders would go away. Because 93% of the time, the murder of a black person is another black person. So we're not even talking about the biggest issues of crime because... A lot of woke white people have decided it's racist to even recognize what's going on. And the unfortunately, Buck, the people who end up losing out are often poor and black who end up the victims of all this crime. It's like you're not even allowed to say it. It's crazy. I don't even hear Do you hear any Republican presidential candidates say this? Have you heard one person say that? Like, just share the facts. You can't solve a problem without acknowledging where the problem comes from. Fires me up.
0: Some of the best family times are often when stories get told and retold. When the scrapbooks come out, the old pictures get passed around, the family movies spontaneously start playing. Family get-togethers can often turn into a laugh fest just in the process of revisiting the funny, silly things that happen, which are captured in a photo or video. That's why our friends at Legacy Box exist. They've become the nation's largest digital transfer company for old media, like videotapes, film, and photos. That's the best way to share all those memories, digitizing them for everyone's mutual benefit. It's really easy to do. They make the whole process super simple. We've both relied on Legacy Box to digitally transfer our family memories, and with Thanksgiving next month, what better time than now to do it for your family too. So if you have old tapes, print photos, or even film reels, send them off to Legacy Box in Tennessee. They'll carefully transfer your stuff, send you the new files, and return the original safe and sound. You owe it to your family to safeguard your memories. Don't let your photos continue to fade. Become your family's hero and save them before it's save them before it's too late. Visit legacybox.com slash buck to get forty percent off. That's legacybox.com slash B U C K.
1: Need a break from politics? A little comedy to counter the craziness? So do we. The Sunday Hang. A weekend podcast to lighten things up a bit. Find it in the Clay and Buck podcast feed on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health.
0: Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University, private, Christian, affordable. Visit
3: gcu.edu. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money, but are your bills even accurate? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely
1: connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud.
3: You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past
1: bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million to save. Visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com.